Greetings, rare ones, and welcome to the Rebirds Emerging Market Podcast. I'm your host, Joanne. I started Rebirds a few years ago because I wanted to learn the stories behind startups in emerging markets. This has since evolved into a multimedia brand with content covering the intersections of early stage entrepreneurship, emerging markets, and blockchain technology. The Rebirds Emerging Market Podcast is where I have conversations with startup founders, ecosystem builders, and investors from across emerging markets. We are now on season eight, exploring the Puerto Rico startup ecosystem. This is episode number 171, Building an App for Book Lovers with Lindsay Ayala, the CEO and co-founder of Booksloth. Lindsay is half of the duo, the other half being Xiomara, who is the CTO and co-founder. For those of you who love books, incessant book readers, you definitely want to listen into this conversation. Booksloth is an app that allows you to discover books and connect with readers. They have book clubs where you can organize books, rate books, connect with books, uh, other book readers in the community, join reading challenges. It's a really fantastic app that allows you to manage your bookish profile. So do listen in. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did recording it. And I'll see you at the end. Bye for now. Greetings, Lindsay. Welcome to the Rare Birds podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to have you here as a part of the series on Puerto Rico. So welcome. You're officially a rare one now. So welcome to the family. And tell us a little bit about you. Hi, well, I'm Lindsay Ayala, the CEO and co-founder of Booksloth. I'm born and raised in Puerto Rico. And I am currently working full time on Bookloth, which is a reader community and book discovery app for young adult readers. Yes, it's very exciting. Books, books, books. So everyone who's listening, who enjoys reading books is going to be really excited to hear you talk about your startup today. So tell us a little bit about the team, you, your co-founder and, and anyone else. Yeah, for sure. My co-founder, Siamara Figueroa, is also born and raised in Puerto Rico, and she's our CTO. So she's the techie behind everything Booksoft, while I am mostly design-focused. Um, we both met working at a media company in the island. Uh, we, that was our full-time job. And then since we were like basically one of the only two females on the team, we would sort of hang out and that's how we met and became friends. And we both like to read. So one of our favorite things to talk about like on our breaks or lunches was about what we're reading, how we find new books, try to get recommendations off of each other. And that's where we started with the idea, like we needed something out that's not already out there. And since she can do apps and I can design, we were like, hey, you know, why don't we make our own app? And that was like the very first conversation around how we could create something like books law. Oh my goodness. Okay, so let's rewind a little bit so people can get an idea of how how the work is sort of, um, I guess, um, 
delineated between you two. So you do the, you're the designer. Are you like the front end kind of developer and Siomara is the back end or how, how do you guys work together? Yeah, I mean, I'm just the, the designer, like visually, I can do front end for web. So the mm. website is mostly me, but since it's a mobile app, she's an iOS developer. She does everything for the iPhone app mm. from like front end, back end. Like once you're developing an app, both our apps are native. Okay. So she codes in Swift and then we have an extra person that does Android and it's done on Kotlin. So both are completely native nice um, we like purely design you know sketches and how it's gonna look but i don't really program at this stage i do okay. work on the website but not as much so it's just the two of you working on this app or do you have a, a, a bigger team the, the two of us for the first like year and then we hired a full-time developer Nasha. um mm -hmm. she was our first developer she does back end and android and then just recently we hired a fourth person kevin who does iOS and a little bit of front end as well uh, nice. and design. So he's nice. more well-rounded. So right okay. now it's perfectly four full-time people. Me and Sumara are the co-founders and sort of the lead of the product. And then Nisha and Kevin are our first full-time employees. Okay, brilliant. So you're working at this media company and you said you're the only woman. So you connect, you start talking and you realize that you both share a passion for books, right? Um, I want to get an idea of what problem exactly are you solving with the app, with Books Love? Yeah, definitely. So the first problem for me was like, you know, I read one or two books per week on a good week, mm. I like to say, because it depends on work. And lately we've had a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so finding, figuring out what to read next for someone who reads so much and just devours books, like I, I would say, is kind of hard unless you have someone who already knows you or to recommend uh, books for you. So I follow Instagram channels, I go to Twitter, I go to YouTube, Reddit, threads. So for me to discover a new book that I think I'm going to like, it takes time. It's, it's actually a harder process than it is, let's say, pick a movie on Netflix because every year there's in the US alone, there's at least 1 million books published. So the mm. choices are incredible and they keep growing each year. And that's just on US based publishing. I'm not even considering UK or worldwide for mm. translations, for example, versus every year, maybe 300,000 movies come out or TV shows. Mm. So, and then movies are more mainstream in the sense that you know, everyone sort of watches movies, there's trailers and everyone sort of knows what the top TV shows are at the moment. You sort of hear a lot of buzz, but with books, it's different, right? Like there's so much choices, so many genres and all of these uh, indie authors self-publishing as well. So just figuring out what to read next is actually very overwhelming uh, for a lot of people, including myself. And I found that that's a problem that's shared across uh, so just the reader community in general, that was like the first thing. Mm. And then the second part of the problem was like, okay, I'm reading the book um, because it's very frustrating. The, the problem is that it's very frustrating to, to just pick a book. And then if you're reading it, some people take days or weeks to complete a book. Like imagine if you really don't like the book, um, it's money you spend. And then it's also time because if you don't like a movie at most you might waste let's say two to three hours if it's really long and you keep watching it. 
but with a book, it's like a lot of commitment once you decide which one you're going to read. And then the frustration level is a bit higher, I feel, when you actually don't enjoy what you're reading. Mm. Um, and then the, the second part that we're addressing is, at least to me and like the young adult community that are so used to social interactions and spontaneous conversations is, as you're reading the book, sometimes you feel like, I want to tweet about this, like, oh my God, this just happened. Or, you know, like people do that. But if you don't have anyone who's read the same book, they're going to be like, oh, that sounds nice. And it's not like your friend can just read the book. Usually you're, uh, people do that. Like, again, I, I like comparing it with movies because sometimes you're like, I see this all the time on my Facebook or social media. Like, I just saw this movie or the series. Oh my God, everyone has to watch it. And then I'm like, a day, half your friends have already watched it. And that doesn't happen with books mm. um, because it's harder. It's not like, okay, go to the store, buy the book. 10 days later, you read the book if you're really you know, that engaged into it. So that's why I felt like if we created that community, like worldwide, I'm sure there's thousands of people have, that have read this book I'm reading right now. So I can find those people that have already been reading them or already interested in and create conversations with them. Definitely, that's a lot. So you're create you're you're doing for books what's already happening for films, it seems, and for like for films and for music. There's a lot of in those in those industries. You had a, a lot of community and reviews and so on, but you don't really have that for books, right? Yeah, exactly. At least there's not a centralized place. And like I said, I'm focusing like on the younger like young adult audience. Mm, yeah, young adult like for the publishers they put it at maybe 16 to 30 year olds but young adult is you know 40 percent of young adult books are bought by people you know over 40 and up to 50 you know everyone's a young adult at the end of the day yeah and it's not like age matters when with the type of books you read but we're we are trying to target like a more social media ready audience right with the interactions right. that are more dynamic and not so stale, like yeah, more traditional platforms. Right, right. So your target audience are definitely young and they're avid book readers. I mean, like yourself, you're reading a book a week. So you can easily read four to five books in a month. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just January, I wrapped up with about 13 books. It was a good month because wow. I had a bit of vacation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had yeah. a bit of vacation from, you know, Christmas and New Year's. So I got that started. So within Booksloth, like walk me through the app. So if I'm, can I come in and I, I can find different types of books and then I can read them and then I can give a review and I can join the community and we can share exchange ideas about the book. Is that how it works? Like kind of walk us through the app. Like when you enter the app, like how it actually. Yeah, exactly. So the first time you enter the app on the onboarding, we ask your favorite genres just as a basic filtering on where we're going to place you, um, whether it's on the community or the books that we're going to recommend you, because we do have a personalized recommendation engine. Um, and then the second thing we ask you is something that's new that we really enjoy creating. Um, so we call them reading elements. And basically for our rating, instead of just giving, oh, I like this book, three stars, four stars, or a half star, which we have, um, you can rate a book based on your favorite reading elements of the story. So for example, I really like the characters in this or the world building, maybe the concept or the art. So elements within the story, maybe the romance was your favorite thing because that way 
I think maybe you really enjoy romances and character-driven stories, right? Mm, mm. So I can recommend you this book, even though I gave it a three star, the character development was amazing and maybe you'll give it a five star. Because mm. the star rating isn't uh, the same for everyone. Like a, my favorite book could be your least favorite book, right. depending on the things we like. And I think that's something that really set us apart to begin with because people can discover books based on, you know, those elements. Like I want really good character development and maybe you're not a sci-fi fan, but this book does that so well that you might end up enjoying it. And then people Absolutely. that have read the same books, uh, cause we can also match people based on how many books they added to the profile that match. So if we read the same 20, 30 books, I have matches right now with people that have read or have on their list like about 200 books of the same ones I have. So I'm like, I totally have something to talk about with this person. Right, we've read right. 200 of the same stories or we're interested because it might be that they've read them or that they want to read. Um, right. So, so there's definitely yeah, a sense of community, this community building. Yeah, sure. Like it started off as a personal sort of app, like create your library, add the books you want to read, the ones you've read, give them your rating and reviews. And then we started adding the community to, you know, we're, we are a small team, so we do things by, by faces. Mm. So the second version I would like to say is we added the community and right now it's a feed where you can just ask anything book related. Our community is really great with that. Um, typically you'd get posts like, hey, I'm looking for a book and then ask for a very specific, uh, like a sci-fi with, you know, female lead and, you know, Mars invasion, you know, like things like that. And then you get other readers that have read similar things instantly comment like, oh my God, you should read this or that. And then they start having conversations. Nice. Around all the books. And we, this year our focus really is like, you can follow people, but uh, we want to really enhance all of those social aspects, like maybe in, uh, add things like the book clubs or book chats to really get the conversation going in a more, um, live sort of conversations and maybe there's things you could do with audio or video like I'm, I'm we're still figuring out exactly how it's going to look in the app but it's definitely going to circle around those conversations like my vision for the product is like let's say i just started reading michelle obama's book and then it says hey five people just literally started reading this too why don't you hop on a chat with them like that's a perfect moment where uh, you can create book clubs for every book that you're reading mm. instead of the traditional book clubs where it's, you know, 10 people always meeting every month and then picking a different book. So you can have book clubs for any book that you're reading. And okay. then you meet new people each, each week or each month, each time you add a book, if you're interested, obviously, in the part of the book discussion, you can enter these groups. Okay, so these are some of the really cool features that the app has. And are you guys adding more at the moment or are you looking, are there new things that you're thinking about adding? Yeah, so the book club part isn't uh, ready. We had we had a beta last week, I mean, okay. last year. Um, and then we gathered all the feedback. So we shut it off for a little bit while we reimagine it because there's so many things, like technology is available and there's so many things we could do. Uh, obviously, we have to focus on one at a time. So this year, we really want to, once we relaunch our clubs or our revamped community, then 
that's going to be our, our focus, right? Like really enhance the social experience within books law because okay. it's already grown very organically and people are talking. So we want to give our readers better features to make that conversation easier. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the process behind the scenes. What is it like to build an app? So it's definitely very interesting. Uh, a lot of different um, processes that at least me, I mean, Siamara had more experience because she is an app developer, but things I didn't expect, something as simple as the fact that we have to wait days for Apple to, um, to accept our update. Like every time, you know, let's say we spend a week developing a new feature or updating something, I submit my, um, my build, it's called, just the development of the, the app. And then Apple has to say, yeah, I agree, this is okay. Uh, we can publish this to the store. Or sometimes they come back with, no, you know, we changed X or Y things on how Apple is doing things. You have to do it again. So things like that, I wasn't expecting because I'm a web developer and web, I just, you know, update and within the hour or less, it's already on the page and no one's really um, telling me whether or not I can program this way. Um, I mean, in general, they, they do accept all the updates, but sometimes it's more like safety features for the users. Uh, we've never really had major things. It's more like, um, it's just, they go through the process of whether or not it's Apple approved. And then with the Android store, it's the same. Mm. Generally, they need to make sure that uh, what we're saying our app does, it actually is doing it. And in order to not mislead the users. So if in my, in the app store, when you search for Booksloth and you see the screenshots or you see the features, they want to make sure that those features are actually working and functioning in the app. So that's, I think, why the process is there. And I get it because then not everyone can just publish anything on their stores. Like they right. probably don't feel responsible on what kind of ad apps they're featuring. But it sounds but like the process is, it, it sounds like the process is really lengthy, it, like turnaround time, right? Sounds long. Yeah, for sure. So even if some, let's say we have a critical bug at some point or, you know, in our case, we went really viral over the summer and we had a lot of downloads so our servers were crashing. It's a good problem to have. The fact that so many people wanted to use your app and are downloading it, kind of like when websites get hugged that you can't access and you get the 404. Like if someone famous announces something and then the website just crashes. Right. Uh, we had that happen over the summer because of the amount of people that wanted to use our app. Nice. So for situations like that, it's still like, even if we fix a problem instantly, like now, sometimes it's from the back end and we can fix it remotely. But if it's something to do with the app itself, there's no way we can lodge an update within a day. Um, you, you can do something that's called like the expedited shipping or and then basically you tell Apple to be urgent, that it's urgent and we really need this fix like now instead of waiting days and then they'll prioritize it and you might get it within the day. But it's still like something that I didn't expect when it comes to developing an app, like all these behind the scene things that, again, we're a small team, right? So we try our best and we do work really hard to get these things out, but sometimes it's out of our control. Like we submitted this days ago and then, you know, it took three days 
to get back and then finally at the store. Sometimes yeah. I think they're they're doing better, like it's maybe one or two days now, but we've had updates that have taken five or more days, especially around the pandemic time where everyone was sort of figuring out what to do. Obviously, I'm not rushing anyone at Apple because I know everyone was struggling worldwide and probably the employees were still trying to figure out remote work or everything. So, yeah, yeah. How many users do you guys have? Uh, we're already over uh, 35,000 uh, okay. leaders in our platform. Okay. We really, really grew up uh, last year over the summer. Uh, it's all been organic, which is really, we're really proud of. Basically, a young adult discovers our app and then makes, uh, they've made videos about it, they've tweeted about it, and then tell their friends. So that's how we know that we, we're really hitting it off with the right audience that we're targeting. Right. How do you market an app? I mean, I know you said it's organic, but how does that work? Is it just you put it in, in the app store and you just hope the right people find it and start sharing it? Or do you have like an actual strategy for marketing it? Yeah, I mean, that's how we started because it was very like bootstrapped at the beginning. Like it's just us two. So we didn't have marketing budget to compete with larger companies. So the only thing we can do for the marketing strategy is implement like social mechanics within the app because, uh, you know, reading is more fun with friends. So, you know, incentivizing our users to invite their friends, to share their book list with them through the app, I think is a first step. Like make the app friendly so that people can share things from it um, to their own pages or just invite friends easily. Um, so we haven't really spent any money on marketing. And then there's also like the social media platforms, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter for the company to keep engaged with the audience. Uh, I'm mostly the one who's running it. And sometimes if I'm, I'm just too busy with the product, but I can't post pictures every day or, or tweet updates, which I really would like to do. Mm. But that's part of like the marketing, like keeping in touch with our users through social media and then in the app as well, just promoting the invitation like inviting people like you right right so explain to us like if if someone listening and wanted to start an, an app like how well how do you do you make money with an app like what's the business model for an app it depends on the type of app like whether it's a service in my case it's more consumer and social media okay. traditionally social media platforms you do you know affiliate links or ads I really was against having ads on our platform just because visually they just take up too much space with the mobile, but I know so a lot of people go that route and then you just pay for ad-free experience. Um, right. We could do that, but I just feel like design-wise, it doesn't make sense. Um, but that's a very basic way a lot of apps make money. Sometimes the app itself just costs a couple of dollars just to download it. That's an, that's, those are the main two, I think, um, the easiest ways that you could already set up because Google has all sorts of APIs that just, you're, you're like, you want ads? Okay, just plug this in and we'll, we'll fill your app with ads whenever, wherever. Yeah. Um, or then you just make the app cost, you know, a couple dollars, maybe three, five, depending on your audience. Um, so in our case, we're just really focusing on just creating this audience, filling up with readers, making the, the app very engaging. And for monetization at some point, 
we're going to bring in maybe more premium features. I think the basics of the app that are already there uh, will be maintained like mostly free. But if we start bringing in premium content, let's say exclusive interviews with authors or exclusive, you know, book content from publishers, and those are the type of things that we can start getting into for like monetization. Right. Got it. Okay. And did you guys know starting out exactly how you wanted your app to look? I mean, just from a, an aesthetic, a visual perspective, because I think that's really important, right? With app development, just how yeah. it looks visually. Yeah, I think I had a vision of just the cleanliness, you know, book covers was very important for me. Uh, you know, we all like, we say we don't, but we all judge books by their covers. So one of the things <laughs> yeah. I really focused on was really showcasing the covers, not a lot of like text or descriptions. Uh, again, because of my audience is very much like, oh, look at these pretty mm. books. And I myself just sometimes are more attracted to that part of the books. Um, so the idea really was to just make it clean and easy to use. And right now we're re-looking at our experience. You know, it's been two years since we did our first version and we've learned so much. We yeah. also want it to be accessible. Like if you develop an app that's accessible to people, um, it's going to be easy to use for everyone, you know? Yeah, I guess ease of use and, and, and navigation, onboarding is really important with app design. The user experience, really, yeah. Yeah, it's, especially when you're on mobile because, you know, the screen is so small. That's one of the things, like, how many tabs are we going to have? How do we, you know, prioritize which one's going to be first? Or how does it flow better? Because we have so many features um, that it can sometimes be overwhelming on how we accommodate all these features without just having too much things to do. And then you're losing the user because they don't know where to start. Right, right, right. Okay, so now I wanna switch the conversation a little bit and talk about what is it like just being not only entrepreneurs, but tech entrepreneurs in Puerto Rico. What is that like? What is that experience like? Cause you guys started in 2018, right? Like two years, three years ago? Yeah, uh, yeah, the idea was conceived like uh, at the end of 2017, but we fully invested in 2018. Okay, cool. All right, so what's your, what is it like to be a tech entrepreneur in Puerto Rico? Well, it's definitely very interesting because for the most part, uh, a lot of people who study technology like in college get recruited to move to the States. That's a big problem we've had a lot of people because of the opportunities, like I don't blame them, uh, because of the opportunities that arise in the United States, with whether it's salary or just life in general, a lot of our developers would leave the island. So um, companies here maybe wouldn't offer the same rates there. So it's hard for a college student recently graduated, maybe they have loans to accept a job that's offering three times less than a different state, for example. Um, so that was a, a first Thing that happens in Puerto Rico. And then the startup ecosystem has been booming for the past, you know, seven years. I think before then, we didn't even have accelerators or co working spaces. And I've seen the start of it. Like, I, I had never heard about startups in mm. Puerto Rico. Growing up, entrepreneurship in general, it was more like if you want to make a business, it's either a very traditional, like a restaurant or an e commerce, just set up your shop but you've never really heard about 
startups that are, you know, disrupting or creating mobile apps like tech like that. Mm. At least in my experience, I mean, I studied biology, so it's not like I was in the right crowd at the moment. Uh, so your background is in sciences. Yeah, my background is in sciences. My idea, I mean, I love animals, so I wanted to work with them. And for a while, I did work in a wildlife reserve, like basically a zoo with tigers, lions, and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And then I switched, I, I switched back because I've always loved art. So I mm. switched back to design. And that's sort of how I got my job at the media company, like the tech team for the websites. But in general, I think Puerto Rico is very interesting because we're very much a bridge between the US and Latin America. Yeah. So we work with developers, like just programming in general is, an, is done in English for the most part. Like mm. the way okay. you write code. Uh, our mm -hmm. first language is Spanish, but some people, or at least if you're into programming, most people do know English. Yeah. Um, but that alone creates all sorts of different approaches on how you write the code, for example. Yes. Uh, and then we work with developers that are in Latin America as well. So we have people, at least from my experience working in other companies, we have people in Mexico, Argentina, as part of the development team. So at one point you're doing meetings in Spanish and then the other point you're doing meetings in English uh, if you go back and forth. So I think that's very interesting part mm. of that's something that some, some people don't know about living in Puerto Rico because you're very cultural to Latinos, but you're also tied to the United States. So you get different approaches on, you know, like just life in general. <laughs> Uh, is different from a normal developer or the companies you see being created. Now, since the startup ecosystem started up in Puerto Rico, um, there's, you know, at least 10 accelerator programs, you know, a couple of co-working spaces, you know, it started off with maybe 10, 50 people at a bar in San Juan talking about tech. And was, these were just programmers that really loved what they were doing. And they were like, you know, let's start disrupting <laughs> everything and then now it's like a huge ecosystem that i i don't even know who's part of anymore because it's just hundreds and hundreds of people mm, mm. i think uh puerto ricans are in a really unique position because like you said you're you are latinx or latinos latinas so you've got one foot in latin america you know all of these countries mexico guatemala colombia all of them argentina like you mentioned but then you're a sort of a a territory of the United States. So you have that aspect as well. And most Puerto Ricans, if not all, speak Spanish and English. So that's an advantage too. Yeah, for sure. And then the companies that have grown here, especially the ones that I've seen from the startup accelerators can expand to either, you know, United States or Latin America. So that's a great benefit, whether it's tech, whether it's, you know, distribution or e-commerce, we have Absolutely. that advantage as well. Even us for Bookslaw, like, most of our app features United States published books, so books in English, but we can definitely branch out next to like Latin America and Spanish books because it's something we know. Mm. Um, since we are a small team, I've limited um, to, to what we know, like what's the market that I know, and that is the United States market because of where we're at. But then the second market would be Latin America or Spanish native authors and books. And yeah. that's definitely something we, we're willing to expand to next but like i said one thing at a time because of our resources at the moment we're hoping to grow the company as i mean we have right we started off two now we're four 
hopefully this year you will keep multiplying, uh, you know, multiplying our employees to be able to develop faster and, and better things for our users. Yeah. What, can you kind of tell us what are some of the advantages and then, well, we know some advantages we just mentioned. So if anything else you want to add, but what are some of the challenges of building a, a tech startup in Puerto Rico? I think some of the challenges are just the resources that the island has is different. I mm. went to California or San Francisco for the first time, I think it was 2019, early 2019. Um, and the difference was just eye-opening because, you know, just the talent and what people are doing, like we're following a trend that San Francisco started, like when it comes to startups, like, you know, San Francisco has been having startups for years and years, over 10, you know, 20 years, I don't know how long. Mm. Uh, and then just the mentality, like, I think Puerto Rico, from my experience, again, you graduate college and then you're like, okay, which company can I work for? And there's only a couple, a few, big tech companies it's mostly like banking or media like newspaper but it's not like san francisco really like, okay which which facebook i'm gonna am i which is the next facebook that i'm gonna work at or mm -hmm. google so it's different companies doing in, in innovation uh well puerto rico used to be a more traditional market when it comes to companies mm -hmm. um and i really noticed that when i went out there um for the first time just the things that people are doing and diversity. So the resources we have is definitely less. In our case, we, we are fundraising um, and the local investors have different focus and are not necessarily used to startups. Now they are because of the accelerators, like we're slowly getting there, uh, but it's not the same when I've had a conversation with an investor in the United States that that's used to social media type companies versus in Puerto Rico, it's very much you know, bank, agriculture, you know, traditional stores. Um, so the conversations just change overall. Um, and I think we're getting there. Like, you know, Puerto Rico has been booming with all the different movements. And there's also a lot of incentives for people to move back to the island. And I think that's helped uh, for some parts, um, getting the talent back to Puerto Rico specifically, like getting our engineers back from NASA or Google, Microsoft, I think that was the first step um, to recreating like our own environment for the yeah. community. Yeah, that's definitely a, a common thread amongst every um, body, every person, every entrepreneur startup that I in, that I speak with on this podcast. You know, every country is experiencing the in the in an emerging market, and I know Puerto Rico is unique. I mean, you've got all the characteristics of an emerging market, but you're territory of the United States. But still, you know, the brain drain, the resources. You know, there's the role that culture plays in business, which is really, really big compared to like if you're in the U.S. or the U.K., where it's a little bit different that you can kind of extract that culture. But I think when you're in like Latin America, the Caribbean, Africa you know, Asia, you can't really separate the culture from business because it's so, it's so ingrained in everything, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's I so ingrained. And, and that creates, that can be a, a benefit if you know how to work around it. But a lot of the times it's a challenge. And, and how do you employ good people? Because everybody leaves, you know, it's so hard to keep a good developer in Puerto Rico when he or she I can know. go to the U.S., 
<laughs> I know. And then the good developers are in companies like, you know, Facebook, Google. So how do I compete as a startup, right? At the moment, mm. how yeah. do I compete offering a salary that's good enough? Especially now, everyone's working remote. So some mm. people have moved back to Puerto Rico, but still work for Google. Mm. Or, you know, I, I just say that because it's the first name that came to the mind. Yeah. But now it's even harder to compete. But at the same time, now we can also hire remote workers. So yeah. what a time. We, like, we do have someone in Argentina, for example, that helps us out uh, with Android. Um, but it's a, it's a two-way sort, I guess. Uh, like, Retain, uh, retaining people or making them come back to the island depending on where they were or their love for just doing it in Puerto Rico and being back with their family is something that has made some people come back but at the same time I know people have to eat and then when you're comparing salaries um, it makes it hard for smaller companies like mine uh, just because the talent has already left so we have to start going to college and then before they leave try to get those good developers to join your team. Yeah, they, they have to really buy into your vision. And, you know, the the story you tell has got to be really strong. Like you said, they, they, they believe in the culture. They want to come back home. They want to be a part of the change. It has to be those kinds of people with that mindset. Otherwise, yeah, like you said, it's hard. For well, the most part, hard. I don't think everyone wants to leave, right? If, if Puerto Rico has this great tech companies, I think a lot of people wouldn't be searching for jobs in, you know, New York or California. Some would still do it. That's always, it's always going to happen. But for the most part, you know, if someone gets an offer from NASA versus, you know, a traditional company in Puerto Rico, then I feel like NASA is going to pull them more. Yes. Uh, unless they have like really, really tight family values, which, which most Puerto Ricans really do. And some people leave and they don't want to leave, but they feel like they have to. Mm. Um, so yeah. I think it's definitely changing. There's a lot more opportunities, a lot more tech companies moving to Puerto Rico. And I, I think we're seeing a really good trend here. And startups like mine are just also employing people locally. All our team is fully Puerto Rican, except uh, our consultant in Argentina. But you know we are growing as a tech ecosystem. <laughs> Yeah, you echoed exactly what I was going to what I was going to say, which is that companies like yours are going to be a part of, you know, the change that's going to make that happen really soon, because there's when you have more book slots, then you grow and you get bigger and you, you can hire more people and then people don't have to leave. So it's um, it's making sure that you guys stick around and you don't give up on what you're doing. But I know you're not going to do that anyway. But a lot of startups do because it's so hard. So yeah, exactly. it's important to support companies like yours. So what's next for you guys then? Like say in the next, um, where do you see your company in the next five years? Quick snapshot. Well, yeah, in the next five years, we really want to be like the number one just bookish platform for the re all the reader needs, right? You discover the book, you read the book, and then you talk about the book, like everything you need centralized around reading. Like mm. we want that. We want to create those connections, like very unique and very um, great connections. Like we want to give readers the best experience, whether it's through the community and the book discovery that they can have. Uh, in one centralized place, uh, starting with YA, but then we want to expand to just every genre for any type of reader. 
Yeah. Okay. And final question that I ask everyone when they come on the podcast, what lessons have you learned from your entrepreneurial journey thus far that you'd like to share with our community? I think being humble um, mm. goes a long way. Mm. Um, like I'm a designer and I just got into app development. Like I've been learning through the journey of doing it. So the second step is just, just start somewhere, right? Uh, it was literally me and Siamara in a, in a coffee room, you, you know, literally drawing on napkins on what the experience could look like. And here we are two years later, uh, well, three now. <laughs> Um, three years later, you know, 35,000 users getting to 40 um, from something just the two of us built, right? So I'm really glad we had the opportunity to do it. I'm super proud of the progress that we've made considering, right, our, our resources yet again. Um, but if we could do it, right, I think a lot of people, you know, can definitely achieve their own goals with their their idea or their company, you know, I think they should try it. Like, Great. I love that. Well, brilliant. Thank you so much for giving me some of your time. Hello to Siomara <laughs> and, and your whole team. Keep up the great work. You're doing an awesome job. And I look forward to hearing about books lost in the future. I know you guys are going to be incredibly successful. So until next time, bye for now. Thank you so much for having me. Goodbye. It was a pleasure. We've arrived at the end. Again, I hope you enjoyed listening in. If so, welcome to the tribe of rare ones. I'm really pleased that you're a part of the family. If you'd like to hear, read, or watch more great content, visit the website at www.rarebirdshq.com. Additionally, don't forget to subscribe to the weekly news to ensure that you don't miss out on what's new. Until next week, Bye for now.